0: Hey, welcome to the podcast for Hill Baptist Church. We hope this message helps you discern what is true, what is right, and what is good. Also, we pray that it acts as an encouragement to you today. We are currently in a series called The Movement, which is a study of the book of Acts. We're specifically looking at God's movement through the early church. Enjoy the message. Well, good morning, and... Welcome to Scotts Hill, all those of you who are here in person, in live gathering here on, on what we call the hill, those of you who are watching at home in the comfort of your Lazy Boy recliners, your, your sofas, we're so glad that you're able to join us there. And those of you in the Cross Point Center, I want to give a shout out to you. Thank you for joining us each week in that mask-only service. We're so glad that you're able to join us in this. We're so happy for us to be able to be here today. It is Happy Valentine's Day, right? And uh, so it's one of those Days where you know people are celebrating love, but it's the reality that we are to celebrate that every day of our life and not just one specific day. And as we continue to live in that, want to welcome you here. You've heard it twice this morning that the vision of Scotts Hill is to join God in his work of transforming lives. And we have seven core values that we have laid out as a church, and we believe these seven core values help us to be transformed as God is doing his work in us. Now, one of those core values, we recognized as a staff, as a pastoral team, that we need to build a fire under that one particular core value, and it is the core value that we seek God in prayer. We feel like we can do a much better job as a body of Christ and as individuals learning this art of praying together and learning how to pray. So with that in mind, we are launching in the month of March a month of prayer and fasting. We're going to begin that on March the 1st, and what we want to do is we want to encourage the body of Christ to join together for a month of prayer and fasting. Now, what you're going to find is next week, we're going to have information on the website that will help you understand why do we need to fast, what are some particular ways that we can fast as believers, choose one of those methods. We are going to have every day a scripture for you and some prayer points to pray through each day throughout the month. Month of March, and we also have some action plans for every family to do as they pray together and then to flesh these prayers out in their weeks. We're going to break that month down into praying for four specific things. We're going to pray for our church and then churches in the community. We're going to pray for our community. We're going to pray for our country. And we're going to pray for the continents. So you're going to hear more about that next week. And we really believe that this is going to be something that God will use to further transform us as a faith family. So I want you to pay attention to that. It's going to be online next week. All the information is going to be there. And it's going to be a wonderful time in the life of our church. Now, having said that, let's jump into our study where we've been looking at for the last several weeks. We've been studying the book of Acts, and we've called it the movement, and we're looking at how the gospel is moving from Jerusalem to the ends of the earth and how God is using the church to transform Lives And so far, we've seen how the church has been built and how it has been multiplying. We've gotten all the way up to chapter 4. And in chapter 4, we end that chapter with some incredible things taking place. We see that they're walking in this unity with one another. They're walking in testimony, constantly speaking about what Jesus is doing. They're living a life of generosity and a life of humility. And we see that God is adding to the church, and now he's multiplying the church. And that first church in Jerusalem is an exciting place to be. The first church in Jerusalem is the buzz of Jerusalem. Everybody's talking about first Christian church of Jerusalem. Everybody's talking about the power of the Spirit at first Christian church in Jerusalem. Everybody's talking about the leadership. They're talking about the, the how people's lives are being transformed. I mean, hundreds And thousands of people are coming to faith in Christ at First Church of Jerusalem. Every time they meet, there are baptisms, there are miracles taking place, and there is an incredible excitement. We get to the end of chapter 4, and everybody must be thinking, wow, man, that's the kind of church that I want to be in. And then you get to chapter 5, verse 1 and you discover there's no perfect church. There's no perfect church. As exciting as a church may be, as powerful as the ministries may be, there are no perfect churches because all churches are made up of imperfect people. And what we find in Acts chapter five and Acts chapter six, we find two major attitudes that will creep into the life of any church and will seek to undermine its ministries and distract its focus. And you see, the one behind all of that is always Satan. He's the one that's always trying to trip up the body of Christ. He tried it earlier in Acts with persecution, but persecution only brought greater growth. So what does he do? He comes to understand that he can't impact and hurt the church from without. So he's going to use some people within to try to attack and to destroy the work that God is doing. The devil's not very creative because he does the same thing year after year after year since that time to every single church. And these, these two attitudes, these two mindsets are absolutely destructive to a body of Christ. So this morning, what we're going to do is we're going to look at chapter 5 And if we have time, I'm hoping we will, we'll jump to chapter 6 because there are two important ways that Satan will try to destroy community in the body of Christ. Chapter 5, verse 1. Luke is writing, and immediately you see that there's a shift in what's taking place. But a man named Ananias with his wife Sapphira... I just want to say it starts with the word, but all of these things have been happening and they've been great, but Ananias and Sapphira, all of these things, the Holy Spirit has been doing, but Ananias and Sapphira. Now they wanted their names to be known, but I don't think they ever intended it to be known in this way. And we're the same. And sometimes we have to ask ourselves the question, do I want to be on the backside of that, but? when God is doing some great things in the life of a church. Not in this way. So Luke continues, But a man named Ananias with his wife Sapphira sold a piece of property, and with his wife's knowledge he kept back for himself some of the proceeds and brought only a part of it and laid it at the apostles' feet. But Peter said, Ananias, why has Satan filled your heart to lie to the Holy Spirit and to keep back for yourself part of the proceeds of the land? While it remained unsold, did it not remain your own? And after it was sold, was it not at your disposal? Why is it that you have contrived this deed in your heart? You have not lied to man, but to God. When Ananias heard these words, he fell down and breathed his last. And great fear came upon all those who heard it, I would imagine. The young men rose and wrapped him up and carried him out and buried him. After an interval of about three hours, his wife came in, not knowing what had happened. And Peter said to her, "'Tell me whether you sold the land for so much?' And she said, "'Yes, for so much.'" But Peter said to her, how is it that you have agreed together to test the spirit of the Lord? Behold, the feet of those who have buried your husband are at the door, and they will carry you out. Immediately she fell down at his feet and breathed her last. When the young men came in, they found her dead, they carried her out, and they buried her beside her husband. And great fear came upon the whole church and upon all those who heard these things. Absolutely, that would be the case. And we read this story, and we're kind of taken back. Some of us are taken back because we think, wow, God's judgment really was quick, and it was a bit harsh, wasn't it? And and we can get into all the debates of whether God should have treated Ananias and Sapphira as this way. We can get into the debates of were they believers, were they not believers. The Scripture doesn't tell us they were not, so we assume they were. And then we have to ask the question, what was it that caused God's judgment to fall so quickly on this couple? And here's what they did and what they were engaged in. They were engaged in a destructive act that always undermines the authenticity of a community. Here's their sin. It was the destructive nature of hypocrisy. What they did was they lived a life of hypocrisy. Ananias and Sapphira wanted to pretend to be something that they were not. All of this was spurred on by Barnabas in chapter 4. Barnabas, if you remember, sold a tract of land. He brought the proceeds to the apostles, and the church praised him for it. They called him the son of encouragement after that. And this issue of hypocrisy set deep within the heart of Ananias. And so he sells a piece of property. And what we understand is this. He sold a piece of property for such amount. He kept it for himself, but what he was doing was not telling anyone that he was keeping some of it for himself, but he gave the impression to Peter and to the whole church that he gave the entire amount to the church because he saw the praise that Barnabas received. He saw the accolades that people were putting on top of Barnabas, and he wanted to be like Barnabas, but he also wanted some of the property. And so he and his wife together wanted everybody to think that he and they were something that they were not. They were hypocrites. And that brought the judgment of God upon this congregation, and specifically upon Ananias and Sapphira. So here's what I want us to do for the next several moments. I want us to ask the question, what is hypocrisy? Why is hypocrisy so bad in the life of the church? And how do you and I avoid living a life of hypocrites? Because the reality is we all have the tendency to be hypocrites, every one of us. And as we look at this passage, we could see the serious nature of hypocrisy and why God brought judgment so quickly and so severely to this early church. Well, let me give you the definition for hypocrisy. Hypocrisy is a pretense of having a virtuous character, moral or religious beliefs or principles that one does not really possess. It is this act of play acting. It is, I want to sell you on a bill of goods that isn't true. I want you to think that I'm more moral than I am. I want you to think that I walk by biblical principles more than I do. I want you to think that I am arriving spiritually so that you can think highly of me. That's exactly what Ananias and Sapphira did. They wanted everybody to have a high view of him. Now, many scholars believe that the track of land that Ananias and Sapphira were selling was much larger than that that Barnabas had. And it was worth much more money. And even keeping some of it to themselves, they would have given significantly more than Barnabas did. And therefore, people would have thought, wow, that Barnabas was something. But Ananias and Sapphira, wow! Are they generous or What? And they were trying to be something that they were not. And something that they never were. And Peter gets the insight from the Holy Spirit. Now, it would have been one thing if Ananias would have said, man, I see what Barnabas did. That's incredible generosity. Holy Spirit, please make me a generous man like that. And give freely. But rather than asking the Holy Spirit to change his heart, he was trying to convince people of something that he wasn't. Now, we get to this passage, and a lot of people talk in Scripture about being slain in the Spirit. People will talk about that the Holy Spirit renders a person unconscious so he can do his work in them. There is no biblical text for that in the New Testament at all. We see no support of being slain in the Spirit, but I will tell you in this passage, we see clearly support by being slain by the Spirit. And that's not a good place to be. So why is it so bad? Why is hypocrisy so bad? Let me give you three reasons hypocrisy is so bad. Number one, hypocrisy is actively lying to God. When you and I pretend to be something we're not, we actually are trying to fool God. Now, two times in this passage, in verse three and verse four, Peter says, you have lied to God. He First, he says, you've lied to the Holy Spirit. Secondly, he says, you have lied to God. Now, he automatically associates the fact that the Holy Spirit is God, but it's much deeper than that. You have lied in such a way that you have lied to the Father, to the Son, and to the Holy Spirit. The entire Trinity has been lied to by your actions. You are trying to convince God that you're something that you're not. And now, as insane as that is, that's what we do when we practice hypocrisy. Many times, we're trying to convince God that we're better than we really are. I learned this many years ago from my little girl, Leslie. My son, Ryan, was selling some chocolate bars for school and raising some money. And um, we told her, and we said, Leslie, he's selling those candy bars. You can't have it in them, so you cannot eat any of his candy. I came home from work one day, and she came bouncing in a room. Hey, Daddy! And she had chocolate all around her mouth, just all around her mouth. And I just said, Leslie... Uh, you didn't eat one of Ryan's chocolate bars. Well, no, daddy, I didn't eat that. I said, honey, are you sure you didn't eat one of his chocolate bars? And she said, no, daddy, I didn't. And so I pressed in a little harder. I said, honey, are you not telling me all that? Daddy, you never believe me. And I said, okay, okay. Hey, I wanna show you something. She thought I was changing the subject. And she said, yeah, show me something. I brought her to a mirror. And she looked at the mirror, and when she saw her chocolate, her face just dropped. It was like this countenance and just changing. And she was brilliant. She said, I was just smelling it, and it melted on my face. (laughs) It was a brilliant lie. But it was a lie. And here's what happens in that. She is trying to convince me of something that she's not. And as sane as it is, isn't it true sometimes when we try to live a hypocritical life, we're not only lying to God, but it gets worse. Listen, when I lie to God about it, and God's Word outs me, and then I tell Him it's not true, in First John chapter 1, verse 10, it says, if you say you do not have sin, you make God a liar. So hypocrisy is a lie to God, and when confronted, there's the tendency of correcting him over my sin. That's a serious, serious place to be. But not only is hypocrisy actively lying to God, hypocrisy is actively lying to others. You see, the whole point of hypocrisy is to make people think I'm something I'm not, something I'm better than I am. And so if I can make you believe this thing, then you will feel better about me. Now, the problem with God is that while God may out me because of my sin, other people may not be able to do so. So what do I do? I live a life of duplicity. I live a life of something that's not real. And the whole time, I'm living a life as a salesperson trying to convince you of something that's not real in me. But I want to tell you this. Our sins ultimately find us out. I was so disappointed this year hearing the life of Ravi Zacharias who was a great Christian apologist for so many years and upheld the teaching of the gospel. But in his last days, it has been uncovered that he had lived a life of duplicity. At one point, he's proclaiming the gospel. At the other point, he has major moral sexual sins that he had been hiding. And it's not until his death that they have come out. And many people for years believed that he was something he wasn't. And he essentially created a facade that wasn't real. That's what hypocrisy does. It always produces a facade. It's like this, this pretty picture on the outset that's not even a reality of who I am. So I live a life of trying to fool other people all the time. And here's the third reason it's so bad. Hypocrisy is actively lying to ourselves. Ultimately, we begin to believe our lies. And we think that if I keep acting this way, then you know what will happen? Maybe I will actually end up that way. But we don't. In fact, go back to 1 John chapter 1, verse 8. It says this, that if we do not admit our sin, we deceive ourselves. And we begin to live a life that's never true and it is never real. The word hypocrisy in the Greek, It means play acting. In the Greek world, what they would do is they would have their theatrical performances, and rather than just dressing up as a character, they had masks. And a mask had a different face. And whatever character they played, they just put the mask in front of their face. And they would walk around with this mask in front of their face, and they were this other character. I want to tell you something. Masks were used in the church long before COVID was known. In fact, somebody gave me a quote a couple of weeks ago. I've been looking to use this quote, and this is the point and the time to use it. I can't remember the quote exactly, so what I did was I paraphrased it, but here's what I wrote. Some are upset because you have to wear a mask to church, but many of you have been wearing them for years. Isn't that true? Let me tell you something. Every one of us has some Ananias and some Sapphira in us. Every one of us has the tendency to want to make ourselves look better. Isn't that true? We're all like that. We do that with one another. We do that with our spouses. We do it with our kids. We do it with our parents. We do it with our peers. We do it with friends at church because we think, oh, you know what? I I can't go there. I've got to look a certain way. And what do we do? We perpetuate a lie. And we stand before Almighty God and we don't allow Him to tell us the truth and do something about it. We cover it up. We put on a mask. We walk through our lives play acting and not being who we really are. People will say, I don't want to go to church because it's full of hypocrites. They're right. They're right. We are. So the question is, what do we do with this? How do we deal with the hypocrisy of our own lives? I want to give you three things that I believe are absolutely necessary that will free us from pursuing hypocrisy. And these three things will change your life. They'll revolutionize your life. How to overcome hypocrisy. Let me give you three things. Number one. Admit that we are not perfect and we all are in process. There's nobody in this room. That's perfect. There's nobody in this room that has everything together in Christ. Now I'm speaking to those who are children of God. I'm speaking to brothers and sisters in Christ right now. I'm speaking to those who have surrendered their lives to Christ, have yielded their lives to Christ. Let me tell you something. That's really important that we got to begin with in Christ Christ. We are positionally righteous. In Jesus, we are righteous. Because of what he's done for us on the cross, we have a positional righteousness that will never change. That we have been imputed the righteousness of Christ while he was on the cross. So I walk in the positional righteousness of Jesus. But there's another kind of righteousness, and this is the one we struggle with, the practical righteousness. The walking out of righteousness every day in our lives. And if we don't understand this truth that we are not perfect and that we're all in process, if we don't grab hold of that, then we're going to perpetuate a lifestyle of hypocrisy by trying to make other people think I am better than I am. But the thing that is freeing is to recognize I'm a mess. I'm broken. I have a sinful nature. I cannot always do things rightly. I have the Holy Spirit who lives within me and his job is to change me more into the image of Jesus Christ. But I'm in process. And here's what we think. We got to think we think all the time. I got to preach the gospel to those who are lost. You do. But let me tell you, we need to preach the gospel to ourselves every single day. Every single day. What do we say about the gospel? God meets us where we are. He tells us the truth about who we are. He tells us the truth about Jesus. He demands a response, and he invites us into a community And this is the truth. Every single day when I wake up, I recognize that I'm a sinner that is saved by the grace of God. I'm only where I am by the grace of God. I have my flaws. I have my struggles. I have my weaknesses. And it's the Holy Spirit who is making me like Jesus. I am in process. And this is gonna happen the rest of my life. I had somebody in my office not long ago and the lady said to me, she said, you don't understand, pastor. I can't be as spiritual as you. I said, whoa, whoa, wait a minute, wait a minute. You don't know me that well. I live with me 24-7. And I know my tendencies, my weaknesses, my temptations, my sinful flaws that nobody else knows. And those are the things that the Spirit of God is working on. And as he works on us through these things, then we are in process. Our vision statement here is joining God in his work of transforming lives. It's not a past tense. It's a present tense and it's active that he keeps on transforming us. That, past, that, that, that vision comes from 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 18 where Paul says, but we all, it's inclusive, every child of God is in this, with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord, or being transformed into the same image, it's intentional, from one degree of glory to another, it is incremental, for this comes from the Lord, who is spirit. Every single day, you and I are in process. Turn to the person next to you, and say, I'm in process. Yeah, some of you are more than others, but we're we're in that process process. And here's what we need to understand, that we're not perfect. And when I understand that, we can say this, it's okay not to be okay, but it is not okay to stay there. It's not okay to stay there. And so we recognize that the people that we're doing life with are not perfect But God's spirit within us is wanting to every single day make us more like Jesus. You know why this is so freeing? I don't have to act something I'm not before you. So, the first thing we need to understand is that none of us is perfect and we're all in process. Here's the second truth we need to acknowledge that we all need community. This is huge. We all need community. You see, the problem is whenever we don't have people speaking the truth about us, then we continue to keep going down the same path of hypocrisy. Not only do we need God to tell us the truth of who we are, but we need relationships in our lives where we can share with one another our weaknesses and our struggles, and we can receive from them what they see and what needs to happen. That only happens in community. That only happens when I'm comfortable enough with being with people where I can share with them my faults and my struggles. We live in a culture where nobody wants to talk about their struggle. People think that if you're a Christian and your struggle, that's weakness. If you're a Christian and you have doubts, that's weakness. If you have a Christian and you have weaknesses, well, that's weakness. No, it's not. Many times spiritual maturity is through the path of our struggles. Many times spiritual maturity comes as we deal with the doubts that we have in living this life. And we need one another that we need to be open and honest and say, listen, brother, I'm struggling here. Listen, sister, I I have this issue that I need somebody to pray with me for. It's in the midst of that kind of authentic community where we don't play act with one another. But you know what we live in a Christian church? It's what I call Instagram Christianity. Instagram Christianity. You know what I'm talking about. You follow people on their Instagram. Those are the beautiful people. They have beautiful homes, beautiful lives, beautiful adventures, beautiful coffee that they take beautiful pictures of. Beautiful food, beautiful restaurants, beautiful trips, beautiful kids who have beautiful smiles and beautifully laugh and dress in beautiful clothes. They look like a fake family on the pages of Target magazines. And you know what we do? That's the kind of life we live. But let me tell you what Instagram doesn't tell you. They don't tell you about the temper tantrums that those little brats are throwing on the floor. They don't talk to you about the frustration that these husbands and wives have against each other and with one another because things are not going well. They don't talk about the car breaking down on the way to that perfect vacation. They don't talk to you about all the weaknesses and the crying and the dysfunction that are within the homes. And we live the Instagram Christian life that's a facade. And we're afraid to share with other people the brokenness of our lives. There are people in this room and watching on TV right now. Your marriage is falling apart and nobody knows it. There are individuals who look like their lives are all together and they're struggling with depression and they're wondering if it's even worth living one more day. And nobody knows it. There's a man that's struggling about the goodness of God. Can he even be good when we've had our third miscarriage? There are people who are struggling with sins and temptations and strongholds that they've never shared with another person. And as a result, there's a facade And there's no authenticity. There's no realness. What does God's word say about that? God's word says a lot about the need for community. Ecclesiastes chapter 4, verses 9 through 11. Two are better than one because they have a good reward for their toil. For if they fall, one will lift up his fellow. But woe to him who is alone when he falls and has not another to lift him up. Again, if two lie together, they keep warm. But how can one keep warm alone? And though a man may prevail against one who is alone, two will withstand him. Three, A threefold, three-fold cord is not quickly broken. You hear the picture here? The picture is of connectedness with other people. That when there are struggles, I've got somebody who's going to ask me the tough questions. When there are struggles, I'm going to be able to share my heart with somebody that I have confidence in. Not only that they would keep that struggle to themselves, but they would be praying for me and asking me, how am I doing? I would ask everyone in this room, do you have that one person? You might say, well, can it be my spouse? I think that your spouse should be a one person, but not the only one person. I think we need somebody like that. Let's face it, those kinds of friends are hard to find. They're hard to find. Because we're not looking for them. Because I've got to keep this facade instead of saying, I need your help. Let me tell you one of my favorite scripture verses of encouragement. I shared this with a man this week at lunch. Proverbs 27:17. As iron sharpens iron, one man sharpens another. As iron sharpens iron, one man sharpens another. Let me tell you why I like that. If you're going to sharpen iron there's some hammering involved. There is some heat involved in that. There are going to be, is going to be an anvil. There's going to be pounding. There's going to be fire. There are going to be sparks, and I'm not talking about a romantic kind of sparks like at a, you know, one of these bro crushes that you might have. No. There's tension. And in that tension... You've got somebody who cares enough about you to ask you the hard questions. And it's in that place that I can be free. And you know what? I can be real. This this gets messy. It's difficult. But this is the place we need to be in a relationship with one another. You know, it's, it's kind of an uncomfortable thing when you have a friend that is willing to share with you everything. And then you be able to share that with that friend, biblical principles to help them. And let me say this, as a church, we're really good at fellowship, aren't we? Oh, we can fellowship, man. We can have our fellowships. We can have our parties. We can have our food. We can have our jokes. We can have all of that stuff. But when's the last time were you in a group of people where there was authentic community And a woman raises her hand in that group and says, listen, I need to share something with you. There's a married man at work that's flirting with me. And I like it. But I don't want to like it. Can you pray for me? Or the husband, a man says, I don't see the goodness of God in my life. I've done everything I know to do as a faithful follower of Christ, and yet I don't see God's goodness here. I'm losing my job. Can you pray for me? We've got children who have walked away from the teachings of the Lord Jesus and they're taking paths and I'm angry. How do I love them? That's the kind of community we need. And it's being real with who we are but it's with people who love us and can speak truth into our lives. I want to tell you, if you're not in a small group, if you're not in a small group, in a community group, please, please get connected to a group of individuals that we can do life together with. Here's the third thing that will help us. Appropriate the grace you receive from God to others around you. Appropriate the grace that you receive from God to others around you. In other words, the grace that you received and God has loved you in, you share that with others. Because here's what's going to happen. We have the tendency to become not only hypocritical but very self-righteous. We watch other people struggling and we think, wow, man, if they would just do this, man, or if they could be more like me, or how dare he said that in our small group. I can't believe it. I can't believe she brought that up. What is wrong with those people? I want to tell you about community. Community can be messy. Brokenness is messy. Struggle is messy. Doubt is messy. Broken confidence that you share with people and they share it with others is messy. And as messy as it is, at least it is real. And that's what people are looking for. A place where I can share my struggles and not be judged, but prayed over. A place where I can go and say, hey, can somebody help me understand this truth so that I can be more like Jesus? Yes, I've been there. Let me tell you what God is doing. It is the appropriateness of grace, appropriation of grace in the lives of other people of the grace that we have received. And when we walk that way, hypocrisy doesn't stand a chance because not one of us is perfect. We're all in process. Not one of us can live to ourselves. We all need community. And not one of us has arrived where we are in our own power. It's all by the grace of God so God is calling us not to be Ananias and Sapphira you know when I was thinking of that that, that situation that happened there here's here's what my gratitude was here's my gratitude over this whole passage Father I am grateful that your spirit is not so present among us like it was in that day because they might not be any of us alive because we can all be there. I don't have time to show you the second point. I'll show it to you, but I don't have time to get into it. You read it on your own, chapter 6, verses 1 through 6. The second thing that Satan uses is not only the destructive nature of hypocrisy, but the distraction. Can you put that up? The distraction of hurt feelings. We can be so hurt that the enemy will want to use that to undermine the work of the church rather than taking the appropriate steps that we need to be. I want to encourage you to read chapter 6, verses 1 through 6, and you will see the hurtness of people and what God did in the midst of that. But I want to tell you, every one of us has some Ananias and Sapphira in us, don't we? And every one of us needs to submit that and let God tell us the truth of who we are and just be real and honest and in a community, love one another. I want to pray for us. Father, we thank you that you are so kind and so compassionate to us. to tell us the truth about who we are and who you are. And in the midst of that, Father, we see your goodness and your kindness washing over us. Father, I pray that you would help us to be men and women in Christ that are honest about our process. And Father, certainly you're not saying that we need to share every little detail and every thought of our lives. That's just overbearing and overwhelming for people. But Father, to be honest with you, and in those areas where we need the greatest support and help, that we're truthful. Father, I pray for the men in this congregation, that you would put people into their lives that would be like iron, that would sharpen them into the image of Christ. Father, I pray for our our wives, our women, that you would put ladies into their lives that would be able to speak truth into them and to help them. Father, I thank you for the volunteers that we have to work with teenagers, and I pray, Father, that you would keep these men and women actively involved so that they can learn what it means to have true, authentic community. And Father, may we deal with our own hearts before you first and yield ourselves to what you say that the trickle-down effect would be real and transforming. Father, I pray for husbands and wives that they would confess to one another and pray for one another. And with their kids that they would walk together in that and with their grandchildren. I ask, Father, that the hypocrisy of our lives would fall by the wayside and the authenticity of a relationship with you would blossom to a place it's never been before. Father, may the cry of our heart be to please you above all things. And with that as the template of our lives, all things please you. Father, I pray that you would grow this church into a place where we can be real. A place, Father, that is safe for us to come and to to speak our struggles and our doubts. place father where we will know we are loved no matter what we say thank you father for your kindness to us and i pray these things in jesus name amen thank you for listening to the scotts hill podcast and thank you also to those who continue to give with generosity if you're new to this podcast and want to learn more about Jesus or our church, go to scottshill.orgslash next steps for more information. If you enjoyed the podcast, you can subscribe to get notifications of future episodes. You can also share it with your friends via text message or take a screenshot and post it onto your social media stories. Whatever you want to do, just make sure to tag us at Hill. Until next time.